Okay. Awesome sauce. Don't don't mind Blake. He's just bleaching his hair. <laughs> Which, Let's see if this goes badly or not. Yeah, he's brave. I wanted to bleach my hair for a very long time, but I, I'm scared to do it. So <laughs> it's a process. I just I literally just got my girlfriend to do it, and um, like she's now all excited about it. Like at first she did purple, uh, now it's blonde. I think she wants to do another color, but I'm like, no, stay blonde. Blondes have more fun. Blondes actually fits you. So I think thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it fits your vibe. So <laughs> thank you. That's probably why I haven't changed it. I just like I love it so much. But thank you for finally like wanting to do this process with me. And it's just like fun to like finally actually talk to you, even if it's virtually <laughs> and not in person. Yeah, yeah. Um as long as we've known each other, we've never like had just like a single solitary conversation. I think we've known each other, like maybe, I knew you before I got into business. So maybe seven years now, <laughs> like our Lucha Underground or something like that. Yeah. Um, the first season yeah. of Lucha Underground. Yeah, that's how we met. It's kind of crazy to believe that was seven years ago, by the way. Right? Oh my God, I feel so old. <laughs> it's like, I've been watching, rewatching episodes on this app called Tubi TV. I've been rewatching Tubi, yeah, yeah. And it's insane that it's up there for free. <laughs> I remember like anticipating Lucha Underground every Wednesday night because yeah, it like exactly. really fit my vibe. It had like a, a pro wrestling and a grindhouse kind of vibe. And yeah, I, I was uh, liking the, to, to grindhouse years ago. And like the production was so different. The, the commentary was so different. It reminded me of like, if they did Wrestling, Wrestling Society X uh, back in like the mid 2000s, if they did that right, I remember, that's what I, I watched that too. Like all those short-lived promotions. Yeah. Those short -lived promotions, Wrestling Society X, um, things like Lucha Libre USA, I watched that too. Yeah. I think that was also uh, on TV. Who did catch that? Um, he was a big fucking dude. Uh, Mark Jindrak was on that. That's how yeah. uh, I found out about that. Yeah, I know him as Marco Corleone. That's how I got okay, him. Okay, he was I on. Never pronounced that. Yeah, he was on CMLL, so that's how I got to him. Oh, I didn't he? even know he was in WWE. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he was. It was a hot, uh, just a cup of coffee, honestly. Yeah, he was like in that faction with La Sombra, who was Andrade now. Yeah, uh, LI or Li Los Inglonavis. Yeah. Yeah, they yeah, were all yeah. in that group together. That's how I. That's how I got introduced to him. Okay. But before we proceed, you you must do a mini introduction of yourself. A mini introduction. Okay. Um, let me think. Let me think. I'm trying to think of something that's not uh, entirely stupid, like I do like before my entrances. Um, <laughs> let's see. Okay. Uh, punk rocket. Extra most bestest in the world. Hi, my name is Blake. And then I do the fucking <laughs> rascals thing for no reason. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty cool. I I think it's like I love people who like have my similar interests, especially if it's more yeah. than one. I think I also yeah. bonded with you because you like punk music and I like punk. Music. Yeah, and like there aren't a lot of like uh there aren't a lot of us uh so it's like when you find somebody that finally like oh my god you know exactly what i'm talking about and then you like kind of gravitate <laughs> towards, towards that person yeah like everything's like kindergarten honestly it's like yeah. once you find a person that likes what you like you just stick by that person all the time yeah i'm that's definitely me 
But I think your knowledge of punk rock is a little more extensive than mine. Only because I know, I think that's just because of the business. Um, like before you get in, it's like, okay, I like, I like this, this, and this, which is punk rock. And then you meet other people that like punk rock and they expose you to more things and they kind of tell you more about it and history about it and stuff like that. Yeah. And then my knowledge grows more and more of the people I know. So okay, I'm, after this is over, I'll send you a lot of, a shitload of punk rock music at school. Please, I need to update my, my rock playlist anyways. It's, it's kind of stale. You. It's kind of stale. <laughs> I need to put some stuff in there. With me being like, uh, my girlfriend's pregnant right now, so I'm trying to like listen to calm music and put myself in like a more serene mindset. So I haven't listened to too much new stuff. But I'll, I'll send you some stuff that I have right now. Yeah, that that's actually very smart. Yeah, Let the punk yeah. rock come later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I, when the kids out, oh, it's it's a wrap. Yeah, I think my like introduction to punk rock, believe it or not, was Seth Rollins because in his interviews, I can, take, I can see that his interviews, he would talk about them a lot, and then like yeah, he was, yeah. like friends was like several bands. That yeah, he yeah. So that's kind of like. Oh, you know, this is some pretty cool stuff. I remember like in his earlier Instagram days, he would like post like some of the songs in his stories. That was yeah, before like, like, like kind of decreased his so activity. Cool. But yeah, that's how I like really got into it. Uh, similar, but just with uh, with CM Punk, with him being a lot, friends with a lot of guys, pretty much same thing without the Instagram yeah, story. Yeah, CM Punk, I was gonna say CM Punk yeah. too. Because I was like, oh, he got me cool. hooked on Rancid. I love Rancid. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Rancid and Operation Ivy. Because I remember in his documentary that I watched, he had like the Operation Ivy logo tattoo. On his uh, like, leg or something. Yeah. And I was like, I got to check this out. And now I'm like heavily into Operation Ivy. But they only had one uh, album. I didn't like Operation Ivy. I love Rancid. And um, I really, really, really love Minor Threat. Yes. <laughs> them okay. and sublime as well i can go all day <laughs> exactly exactly what's your uh what's your favorite genre right now to listen to oh man i listen to a lot of music but i think since i'm a dancer i'd say latin music because okay i do latin dancing but i'm also very much back into like the older rock bands like i listen to bajas and Joy Division and Bad Religion, yeah. those older bands. Yeah also, yeah. also, I think The Doors. I love The Doors. Okay. That, that was one of my dad's favorite bands when he was younger, was The Doors. Mm -hmm. They're so cool, especially Jim. Uh, yeah, yeah. He's like, uh, I went to a concert once. And uh, we thought we were going to a concert. We pretty much just went to uh, Jim Morrison's Acid Experience. He just walked around on stage reading poetry. And I was like, that sounds like the best fucking concert ever. Like you wouldn't go, like right now in my generation, we wouldn't go to like a Black Belt Brides concert and watch Andy just read poetry randomly. It just doesn't happen anymore. Everybody wants to perform and everybody wants to like stick to music. Nobody wants to be um, cool drug addicts anymore. <laughs> you know, Jim was definitely that. He was flamboyant. But yeah, definitely. he was a great singer too. And I was reading up about him. He said that he loved Frank Sinatra. So he tried to emulate his style, his singing style, which I thought was pretty interesting. Looking back on it, that makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of sense, yeah. I didn't even know about The Doors or I guess I knew of their uh, music, but I didn't know anything about The Doors or Jim Morrison in general until uh, Johnny Nitro switched to John Morrison. And I'm like, oh, why is this looking so familiar? <laughs> and he and looks kind of like Jim him. Morrison. 
I was like, dude, what? That's so fucking cool. Yeah, and I just, I think in my terms, I love the more experimental, like post-punk. Yeah, yeah. That's why I was talking like Bajas. I love Bajas. But a lot of those bands, they don't last long. So it's kind no, of- they don't. And I kind of, I used to get bummed out about that when I was a teenager. But then, like, when you look back, like, I love, love Blink-182. I've always loved Blink-182. But, like, the more, the longer they went on, the less special and, like, less and less special they got. Mm. So, like, towards maybe 2019 with their last album, Nine, I was like, okay, I enjoy this for what it is. It's a, it's a summer album. It's a, it's a, it's like older guys pretending like, okay, you guys know what the deal, you guys know what the deal is. We're not, like, 25 years old anymore, but we still make fun music. But if they just stopped that, like, at their self-titled album at Blink-182, they'd be one of the greatest bands ever. It's just that they kept going and kept going. That made them less special, but at the same time, I pre- I still appreciate them. And they have fans that still appreciate them. But it's like, if you want to, if you don't enjoy it anymore and you want to just stop where you are, then you could probably be great. But if you want to keep going and stuff like that because you enjoy what you're doing and people still enjoy what you're doing, even if it's not as good, then, you know, you kind of just building your legacy at that point. And I respect you. Yeah. And I think another thing is, it's kind of crazy when like a lot of rock bands, like of like the modern day, like particularly the nineties, they get you into like much older artists. Yeah, Nirvana. yeah, Nirvana got me into this blues singer named Lead Belly. And I love blues. And I did not know who Lead Belly was until yeah. I listened to Nirvana's version of Where Did You Sleep Last Night? And that's how I got into Lead that's Belly. That's a cover? Yeah, that's a cover. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. I yeah. actually had no clue. Lead Belly is the original singer of that song. Still, uh, both are very with, eerie. Uh, <laughs> very eerie is, song. They made a cover of, um, my dad didn't like them, but I grew to love them. Uh, David Bowie's uh, Man Who Sold the World. They did a cover of that, which was really famous. And I was like, oh, I love this song. And so like one day I'm playing the guitar and um, they had this video game called Rocksmith or Rock. Yeah, I think Rocksmith or something like that. And it said, man, you sold the world. And I'm like, oh, cool, the, the Nirvana song I heard. And so like, I'm playing the chords and everything, but when the vocals come on, I was like, that, that's that's not Kurt Cobain, that's David Bowie, what the hell are you? <laughs> A um, lot of people covered David Bowie's songs and it turned Yeah, I see that now. Especially Ziggy Stardust. I feel like everybody yeah, sang that song yeah. at one point. <laughs> it's like, what is it about this song? I'm not, personally, I'm not a big fan of the song. It's not my yeah. favorite David Bowie song, but. I can see why people cover it. It's a little experimental uh, for my head. I, I get it because it's like, anytime you think of like David Bowie, you think of like that Ziggy Stardust era, uh, the big shiny like makeup and the fucking deal here and whatever. I thought it was the coolest shit ever. I still think it's the coolest shit ever, honestly. Like when you look at his albums and like how he changed and like I was talking about with Blink, like how he changed over the years, it's like, okay, I see why you kept making music. It's not necessarily that you tried to make it better. It's more different from the previous thing. So I always had a big appreciation for um, for David Bowie. Unfortunately, it was around the time that he died when I started listening to his music. And then when he died, I was like, oh, well, shit. I just started listening. <laughs> that sucks. Uh, but I can get into like rock bands and stuff all day. But a fun fact about me is that I actually listen to metal too. Do you? <laughs> yeah what's your uh what's your favorite metal band right now Ooh, wow because yeah. i have little I, little I, to I, no experience 
I there's this German metal band I like. If their name is Ramstein, I love their music. Okay. I don't like like their music videos though. They're a little weird, but I love their music. I heard uh, <laughs> German music videos as far as uh, metal goes are a little graphic and uh, very hard to understand. And I was like, oh, it's German. You know what I'm? Um, yeah. Uh, Alistair Black did an interview about a couple of German bands that he loves, and I was like, oh, that sounds amazing. Then I would like listen to them afterwards, and I was like, that sounds unfamiliar, and not just like give up after that. Yeah, do not watch the music videos. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's very heavy. It's very heavy. So I like I it. And then there's this band called Mushroom Head, but they got a lot mm -hmm. of black because they were compared to Slipknot. Because they had like the same concept with the mask and oh, okay. the outlandish okay. costumes. But got you, got you. Mushroom Head is a little rap heavy, more rap heavy than Slipknot. I mean, in Slipknot, they do a little bit of the rapping, so to speak, but it's not yeah, like. Yeah, that was like that, uh, that era rap. where like rap, uh, rap rock was starting, wasn't it? Like early 2000s, late 90s. Mm -hmm. Like with Lincoln Park and um, Lip Biscuit and stuff like that. They came around those guys, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they they would be German. So how would you even like? How would anybody even make that comparison if they'd? Uh, yeah, <laughs> the it's interesting. So it's like how how is that even possible? But yeah, I it's, think it's Slayer. Slayer, I like. Okay. Like, uh, Pantera. Okay. Of course, Metallica. I love of course. Metallica. And a few other bands that I cannot think of right now. That's fine. <laughs> But yeah, I, know I wasn't a big metal guy uh, after, like, when you're in high school, of course, you like everything that's super heavy, everything that's like, uh, I want every, I want somebody to understand me or be willing to understand me and stuff like that. But it's like after high school, you somber down a little bit. Then I had a kid immediately after high school, so I just started to, like, calm down my uh, my music choices. Yeah, that's like, I have to be in a, a special kind of mood to listen to metal. I don't yeah, even definitely. work out to metal in the gym. Like that's when I work out to like my. It takes my all of your attention music. and all of your energy. Yeah. Like I know some. I have some friends. They like jog to like heavy metal music. I was like, how do you do? <laughs> they have like they're into it. Like that's their that's their genre. Like that's their. Uh, when I when I work out or when I jog or something like that, I listen to like wrestling entrances and stuff like that, and, like theme songs mm. and stuff like that. Or even promo sometimes, like that's what gets me amped. But sometimes for, for some people, that's just what gets them amped. You know what I mean? Like it gets them like uh like fired up and like all ready to go and get ready and shit like that. I'm like, that's that's dope. Uh for you. I ain't I ain't got that much energy. <laughs> I ain't got the kind of energy. I'm getting old out here. <laughs> but we gotta talk about the wrestling. We have to. Yeah. Yeah, that thing I don't like anymore. Go ahead, let's let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't find that shit cool at all. But I think we can we can start by talking about Lucha Underground a little bit more. I think yeah, you'll have to school me on everything, I guess, after season two. Cause like I don't. I think oh. I watched a few matches with like Rey Mysterio and Ricochet, uh, Ricochet and uh, John Morrison. Morrison and uh, Willie Mack, but other than that, totally unfamiliar with everything else. Well, I think after season two, it was a little more story heavy, which I don't have a okay. problem with. It was a lot of twists and turns and whatnot. So okay. the, I guess like the mega villain of the um, show, Matanza, he comes out, I think it was like 
end of season three, early season four, he makes his his debut, which in okay. outside of the character is Jeff Cobb, who he's he's a new oh, trainer. Oh, I know. Yeah, I know what you're talking about now. Um, yeah. big fucking dude with the bodysuit. Yeah, looks like a janitor's outfit. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So he and Mill Morthes, they had a, a rivalry, and you know it was actually pretty good. Two agile. Was, um, no more tests, was that um? What is his name? Was that Judas Priest or Judas Judy, Judas Messiah in uh, TNA? Judas Messiah. I think he went by the Judas Priest name in TNA. But yeah, that's okay. That's, All right, a uh, business brother. Mm-hmm. God, you, Jesus Christ. Yeah, he's literally been around forever. I didn't realize how much he was around. Yeah, he's been like predominantly in Mexico, though. So that's like his that main sense. base, but he's been like all over the place. I think he, I was introduced to him in Lucha Underground, but I was like, oh, I think I saw him before. And then I found out he was yeah, yeah. my second. I was like, <laughs> yeah, like they did the uh, Undertaker and Kane storyline with him in Abyss. They, uh, and then I think he got hurt, went back to Mexico, and he was killing it there. And then, like, it felt like he dropped off the face of the earth, but he just like went under a mask. It was like, all right, I'm gonna chill for a little bit. Yeah, that that's probably what happened. Cause I was like, this man wrestled without a mask. <laughs> you put a yeah, mask. yeah. Like I know for a fact I've seen this human before. Like that body, you just you just don't you don't miss that. Yeah. He also switched the to tights to long tights. He used to wear trunks, so that was another thing that threw me off. He got more tattoos, put on trunks, and then put on a mask, and I was like, oh, it's a whole different dude. Mm. And I think another like soft spot I had is when they had Io Shirai, Mayo Itawani, and I can't remember who the third third girl was, but it's a part of that trio from Stardom. They were in Lucha Underground, and then Io. Oh, wow. Yeah, Io had a match against Pentagon Junior, and that was really dope. They what had, was this? I think I think this was like early season four. Don't back me up on that. When I find it, I'll, I'll send it to you. But right. it was a part of like the Lotus Triad with, um, I cannot remember her name. I think her name was Lotus. And she was like in a, a rivalry with Dario Cueto, who's like the general okay. manager. And she brought them in to kind of like even the odds. But they got into it with Pentagon first. So that's how that match happened. Got you, got you. It, got was, you, a crazy, got you. it was a great match really great i remember um not knowing yet but i remember pentagon and uh phoenix like i didn't know how good he was gonna be but i thought phoenix was the best thing on the show at the time they were oh my god i was like that this like they cannot be having these good matches just on lucha underground like i have to know everything about these human beings and at the time there was literally nothing about them like there wasn't anything on wikipedia all you could find was like matches and stuff like that and i was like oh Mm -hmm. cool and then maybe a little bit afterwards, I thought it was just storyline. They were like, yeah, they're brothers, yada, yada, yada. I won't fight my brother anymore. And I was like, oh, that's sweet. And I look online finally, and they, they're real brothers. I was like, that's cheap. Yeah. At, at this point, that, y'all have really matches. Oh, my God. Y'all been having these matches forever at this point. Yeah, that's fucking cheap. Y'all just going to blow everything else out of the water? I loved it. My favorite Lucha Underground storyline of all time though was when pentagon was kind of like breaking people's arms and like I love to his master. I, you know what i love that until i got into business and motherfuckers were starting to try to do that too like do that same thing they're like it's the pentagon spot i was like ah, i hate you so much no <laughs> pentagon executed it well and he played yeah. like medicine hill i want that pentagon in aew that's what i want 
Yeah, yeah. I feel like Pentagon was supposed to be like their big star, like as far as a gimmick, as far as a presence. That was supposed to be in in uh, lesser terms, their Undertaker, where he's the guy like he's the big nasty like gimmick and stuff like that. Nobody's supposed to conquer. He doesn't need a belt. He doesn't need a special like prize or anything like that. He's fucking Pentagon. And then Phoenix is the guy that's supposed to be like the I'm the world champion because I'm the best wrestler in the world, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think he's proven it against like pretty much everybody he's ever wrestled on that show. Mm. Like there's nobody that can touch him right now. Like it, it really hasn't been anybody that can touch him. But now he's on American television showcased all, all across the world. I don't understand how he's like not world, like at least t- TV champion. or he, uh, he's TV definitely champion. main event material. Definitely. Yeah, like that match with Kenny, I thought would have like sparked something. I was like, there's no way they can deny Phoenix being the best wrestler in the world. Yeah, but those two, whether they're a team or whether they're like apart, like they just they just make magic happen. I just I just need them to face each other every week on Dynamite. Honestly, that's all I want <laughs> in my life. Fifty two yeah. weeks of Pentagon versus uh, <laughs> Pentagon versus Phoenix will do it for me. Honestly, I I'll watch I'll watch AEW every week. Yeah, and and aside from like like the, the story pieces, like the women, I love like the women's <laughs> the women's wrestling piece, especially with um, what's her name? Uh, can't think of her name. Well, I'll just say like all the women on Lucha Underground in general. Most okay. of them I already knew like prior to Lucha Underground anyhow. Like some of them were on TNT. Like, I don't think Bob, the time I was watching, I don't think there were women on there yet. Yeah. Uh, season one going into season two, I don't think there were any women on. Well, they were, but they were like, I think it was just Diamante. Ivelisse. Ivelisse, you mean? Ivelisse, yeah. I think that was it. I think she was a manager that just like got involved every once in a while for uh, Mil Moretes. But I don't think there were any women on uh, Lucha Underground when I was wrestling there. I mean, when I was uh, watching it. Yeah. And then, then Thunder Rosa, she was there for a hot minute. And that was, was like right before Lucha Underground, like just stopped. Damn. Yeah. What happened? Like, uh, they tried to like get everybody with their contracts or something like that. Or what happened with that whole thing? Well, what I heard, that was, it was like, up. it was like a, a lawsuit because like the contract issues and whatnot. And, I guess people couldn't come to a consensus, so they just kind of like ceased it altogether. Damn. Which they all honestly, I felt that was coming because after like season four ended, they it just went like dead silent for a little while. I heard, yeah, that was the only thing. Like, uh, who was it? Uh, Joey Ryan, Shane Strickland, uh, AR Fox, I believe, and a couple other guys. Uh, Sammy Callahan, like all those group of guys were like like very vocal about the situation. And whoever ran Lucha Underground was very silent. I was like, okay, not announcing any tapings or any uh, recordings or anything like that. That's weird. That's unlike them. And I hadn't watched in a couple of years. So I'm like, okay, maybe they just like ah, pop up out of nowhere. We got all these whatever going on. And they just like, no, there's a lawsuit going on. And now we're trying to, trying to end this whole thing. And I'm like, damn, Brody. And then everybody gets released. And I think everybody outside of Shane goes to, goes to Impact, if I'm not mistaken. Like, I think Joey went to Impact. Sammy Callahan went to Impact. Uh, AR Fox stayed in Evolve. But yeah, for the most part, most everybody split off. Yeah. So I think a, a question I would have for you in like terms of women's divisions, I personally have a soft spot for, you know, the earlier 
TNA knockouts. Like yeah, from like yeah, 2007 yeah. to like, I'll say give and, give and take 2013, like that era of knockouts. I'll say, I'll say 2007 to 2014 when yeah. uh, uh, Taryn arrived. Well, I guess that would be 13 too. But when uh, Taryn arrived, um, mm-hmm. I forgot her real name. But yeah, whenever Taryn uh, had her deal with uh, Gail Kim, I believe, around that era is when that ended. A little bit after that, rather. That kind of... How would you, like, kind of compare that to, like, the current, like, WWE NXT women? <laughs> I don't think there is a women's revolution, evolu- whatever they promoted it as. Uh, I don't think there was a... That, from, like, 13 to maybe 17, 16, 17, mm-hmm. uh, that doesn't exist without what the women do in TNA. I think when yeah. women that really, really, really wanted to wrestle and wanted to get their, their athleticism and their storytelling out there, when they got disingenuous with uh, whatever they were doing and whatever they were given in WWE, they would go and get a lighter schedule and, you know, whatever money they were getting that impact, go prove themselves and then come back to WWE as either a commodity or come back for some money and then go back to TNA and be able to wrestle again like that and make them st- make their stars bigger and then go into acting after that. So I feel like without uh, the Gail Kims, without the Awesome Kongs, without the ODBs, without the beautiful people who I was a really big fan of, like without all that and that generation and stuff like that, I don't think the women's revolution right now uh, happens like at all. Like those women, like revolutionize women's wrestling, not just like women wrestlers, if that makes any sense. Yeah, and a lot of the stuff that they were doing during that time period, it was just very ahead of its time. Like, yeah, you know, like yeah. six six sides of steel, lethal lockdown. Yeah, like you even have first blood Victoria matches. matches stuff. Yeah, and I think like even those matches that like tore their bodies apart made them legends in the process to be able to go and get money and make like bigger stars out of themselves. Like, sure, like okay, they can make the argument we make uh, stars or we make movies or whatever the case like that in WWE, whereas you don't have to do all that stuff. But mm-hmm. in order to become a star and become a legend and make money uh, for the future, for your future, uh, whatever proceedings you want after wrestling and stuff like that, you have to be able to get, be given a chance to do that stuff in TNA, to do the stuff that they were doing in TNA, like the cage matches, like all the stuff they're doing right now, they could have been doing 10 years ago when TNA was doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's what like, that's what made me like love the knockouts division <laughs> so much. Yeah. Not only were they like, like badasses, but you could tell like they some of them really had like that that appeal, like that mainstream yeah. appeal. And you could tell like they were like really pushing themselves to like reach that point. And I think another thing about it is just like the stories that they had. Yeah. Especially yeah, with yeah. the especially with the beautiful people. Like they were like the beautiful people were the stars of the women's division. Like, there were heels. no bigger stars on the show than the beautiful people. I they swear were, to God, they were the centerpiece. They really yeah. were. <laughs> were the people like, I, swear, it, I swear to you, I said it uh, to a friend the other day. Like in 2006, 2007, I watched Impact for two reasons. Well, three reasons because they had Global Impact uh, during the summers. But for the most part, I watched Impact for two reasons for two years: the beautiful people and AJ Styles. Like I, like I AJ. loved everything else on the show. <laughs> Loved everything else on the show, but those three people—I didn't care what they were doing. I was watching the show for them. Yeah, and speaking of AJ, that's what made me fall for AJ because he was like the standard, 
black hair for a company for years. And I got introduced to AJ when he was like doing the storyline with Ric Flair and then they formed a whole- In 08 would it have been? Hmm? Was that 08 or is that 2010? That was around 2010 when they started okay. like the whole fortune faction. That's right. When he was Randall Rogue. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And then he and like Jay Lethal were having a rivalry. And that's what was like the around the time of that famous promo between the Woo promo. Uh, the back yes. I watched that the other day and I forgot how funny it was. <laughs> I tell you, I Once Jay dying. Lethal gets on the ground saying it, I'm dying at that point. I'm, I'm literally dying. dying. Jay Lethal killed it with the impression. <laughs> and you could tell Ric Flair was trying not to laugh when they were doing that whole thing. Oh my God. I heard uh, when they cut the cameras off and stuff like that, he did. But for the cameras, before they went to commercial break, he was able to keep a straight face, which I had always admired. But couldn't be me. I, I'm not gonna lie to you, because there's rest of fortune in that whole in the ring and stuff like that. Could not be me. I'd be on the floor laughing super hard. I could not hold myself together. Which is crazy though, because now you look at Jay Lethal. He's kind of like a, a top guy. Yeah, he's all serious, and he's been and like he's more mellow now. now. And I'm just like, yeah, yeah. What <laughs> it just like at that point though, like uh, when you're when you're I guess undersized and you're trying to get a a little bit of name recognition, and you're trying to earn respect and stuff like that. As an African American smaller wrestler, you do anything that works, anything that gets anybody's attention, good or bad. You do whatever you whatever you have to. And then once you're in the position to be able to like, all right, okay, all right, cool. And then, you know, dust is settled and you can do whatever you want, you can be happy. But at that point, it was just too entertaining for them to be like, no, we don't really want you as a serious wrestler. We want you as this. And he's like, fuck it, I'll do it. All right, whatever helps the show, whatever benefits, whatever uh, leaves a lasting impression, I'll do whatever. And it popped Ric Flair. It got me, it got, I'm sure it got the rest of the guys in the ring and it got the audience. So, and that's what we're talking about now. So I don't know what the fuck it led to, but we remember that moment. Yeah. I just feel like they could have done so much more with Jay and TNA. Mm -hmm. But I, I'm found that he I'm glad that he found his his stride in Ring of Honor. I just Yeah, really, I feel like he helped. I wanna Ring see him I wanna see him in AEW at least. Like I swear, yeah, yeah. I want, I want him to make a move now because he's pretty much accomplished everything in Ring of Honor at this point. I feel like he uh I think he was supposed to go to WWE years ago, but I feel like Ring of Honor needed him really bad. He's a loyal guy, so I was like, eh, I understand that aspect too. But it's like uh, it's like we were talking about earlier with music. It's like he's gone everywhere and done everything he possibly can. At this point, he's just building and building and building on his legacy instead of seeing like stopping at one place and just like that being it. Uh, instead of that, he's like, eh. I'm gonna stick it out with Ring of Honor. I'm gonna stick it out uh, here and help this guy, help this generation, and help this generation. Uh, he's he's being to Ring of Honor what like guys like Samoa Joe was to him in the early 2000s. So he's mm -hmm. like even when I like uh, when I wrestled at Ring of Honor, like he was one of the guys. Like when an Adam Cole or something would come backstage, like they would go to Jay Lethal, uh, Jay Lethal or uh, Christopher Daniels and stuff like that, or like. Um, Punishment Martinez and stuff like that. Like those guys would like come backstage. Whew, all right, where's Jay? And like they'll look for him and like, hey, how's that? Just done anything? Do you have any advice? He was like that guy in Ring of Honor, and I'm sure he still is. So he probably enjoys that aspect of it more so than I guess becoming a bigger star or making more money than he um 
but in making more money, I'm probably it's probably just more about the love of the business more so than making money. Like I don't know if he has a wife or kids or anything like that, but as far as I know, what he he's doing what he enjoys more so than anything else. Yeah, and that's really what it's about, to be honest. And but I kind of just want to see him at AEW. I know he was at the um the All In pay per view. Yeah, yeah, was at. But I just only imagine like how he would fit in to that landscape. I would I, I love like, uh, an association of some sort between AEW and Ring of Honor. So I feel like without Ring of Honor, AEW doesn't exist. So when they first started, I was like, oh, they're going to bring every company together. Like the Ring of Honors, the New Japans, the NWAs, the uh, CMLL and all that stuff. And like when they didn't, it was like a really, really big letdown when like uh, AEW started and there was no association with other companies. So, like, if they bring in, like, Ring of Honor guys, even just to start, I feel like Jay Lethal should be, like, forefronting that whole thing. Uh-huh. It, it, only, it only makes sense at this point. Exactly. I would say the Briscoes, but, nah, they're, like, our ROH lifers at this point. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and I, I um, love the Briscoes. They are just amazing on the mic. Downright hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's not a lot of guys in Ring of Honor that can touch them on the mic honestly, or in the ring, like, I don't know if there's a better tag team that's ever walked in the ring of honor than the Briscoes. Not to my immediate knowledge, no. Like, I can't think of a better tag team than the Briscoes. And then I can't even think of too many better, like, big match wrestlers than Jay Briscoe. Like, Jay Briscoe held it together. Even though it was with the help of uh, Jay Lethal, Jay Briscoe held it the fuck together in 2016. He he killed it. From, like, 20... 13 after his injury to 2016, he held it together. Especially like, like his feud with Adam Cole. Is that, I was going to say, yeah, his right feud there. with Adam was like really, like with uh, Jay Lethal at the time being like the sympathetic baby face when he did turn against Adam Cole. Like he got, he's the guy that like the Bullet Club got to jump on. And then Jay Lethal comes in and he's the badass baby face that uh, you're not going to fuck with me. I'm going to hurt you as bad as you think you hurt me. And then he like, He's like the Undertaker. Like uh, Undertaker doesn't get sympathy. He's like, I'm gonna get revenge instead of making you feel bad for me. Like, oh, you know, I'm gonna get him. You know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. he, and he does. Jay Driller after Jay Driller, and he kills Adam Cole. <laughs> and just like the promos that Jay did, like throughout the feud, it just made you like get really invested into it, and you yeah. was, like really thought like he was really beefing <laughs> with Adam Cole. Exactly, yeah. And don't you enjoy that? Don't you miss when you thought guys were like legit beefing over a few that some some would say they should really be beefing over? Like I enjoy that aspect of wrestling when you just don't really yeah. know. Yeah. And I think that's like what I really love about the promos. Like the promo piece is that if you can like really get under someone's skin or you can really like talks back <laughs> in such a good way yeah, that you yeah. invest it into a match. Like, I'm all for that stuff. Yeah, I feel like that's another thing that's missing right now. It's um, sometimes guys that can't do it are given the freedom to do it without a script. And then sometimes guys that can do it without a script aren't given the freedom to do it without a script. So it's like, mm-hmm. it's I always agree. like that weird aspect. You know, like I watched, uh, I watched a bunch of uh, The Rock's promos from like 98. And even though some of the stuff he was writing was like, you know, even some of the stuff he was saying was scripted, it's like, uh, sometimes it's like yada, 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 okay, react, or yada, 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 just put this in, or whatever the case may be. 
and it's just some of the most entertaining shit like even to this day it's been like 20 years or some odd and like uh he did one on Kane and it's like not stuff you can say like right now but it's just the the way he came up with it was so funny it's like um now you're you're doing jumping jacks Kane's happy because Kane can talk the big red you know whatever the case may be can finally talk <laughs> and I'm like just fucking only him only he could get away with things like that yeah I just love it and of course he's like just smoothly transitioning to acting I think yeah, that, yeah. like his like great ability to like really interpret a, a script and then like yeah. kind of do his little improv improvisation along the way. Do you think that's uh, why they have people follow scripts so they can trans- transition easily into acting? Um, I personally think that could be the case. And I kind of also feel that there are wrestlers who thrive better with the script and they're not entirely good at that improv piece yeah. which is, there's nothing wrong with that it's, yeah, yeah. it's just that it's just what they're inclined to do and I kind of feel like there needs to be a little less restriction in that route and give yeah. the wrestlers more of the freeway say hey if you're more comfortable with going by the script you know it could be available for you or if you had a capability to improv you know off the rip and then just kind of you know, help build on like wherever segment or wherever few you're in, and you should yeah. like, do that. But I really feel like there are a lot of great wrestlers, like in ring wise. But when it yeah. comes to like the entertainment piece, they they tend to like shy away or get a little uncomfortable. And like I said, it's, yeah. it doesn't negate like their skills or their talents. It just shows that you know maybe they're not really inclined to like do that kind of stuff. They're not used to doing it. So that's why yeah. I feel like that, that script piece should be available for like those wrestlers so they can still be able to adapt. But, you know, there are wrestlers who may on the opposite side, maybe they're just more charismatic and they're not necessarily focusing like on the moveset, but they have like a moveset to like, you know, be able to go in the ring. But, you know, their strong piece is like, you know, the entertainment and like the flashiness of like yeah, sport, yeah. and then maybe they have like that capability to just go off a rip and improvise. So different strokes for different folks, but I do think there needs to be like a balance of both aspects for the for things. Yeah, like what springs to mind immediately is the um, like okay, say say the Lucha Brothers. Like I've never heard a promo from either of the Lucha Brothers, right? Uh-huh. But you know, in the ring, whoever they're in the ring with is going to deliver. Like it doesn't matter. You can sell a match on just their uh, in-ring ability alone. Exactly. Uh, and then guys like in AEW, say uh, a Ricky Starks, like a uh, Ricky Starks can go in there and make a good match with anybody because Ricky Starks doesn't do too much. I can't think right now of a Ricky Starks move. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But Ricky Starks is going to talk you into the building before you get there. Or like an Adam Cole in NXT, like same thing. I can't think of an Adam Cole move, but I mean, other than like the his finisher or whatever the case may be, but like he's going to yeah. talk you into the into the building before you get there it's like there are guys that can like like uh penta has the zero mero mero thing like whatever he says and it was zero mero so it doesn't matter exactly what his promo is you know what his mantra is and you know in the ring he's gonna have a good match Uh, on the flip side it's like guys that can have promo after promo after promo you know whatever they do whatever match they have they're gonna try to hit this one specific move the panama sunrise or that whatever the fuck DDT thing that Ricky Starks does. I don't know what it's called, but yeah, yeah, whatever yeah. match they have, they're going to try to hit their finisher. 
So it's like, it, like you said, it's different strokes for different folks. I feel like either way, a company should be able to base their company around the star power of that person and whatever their strengths are and be able to hide their weaknesses. Yeah, and I think it's great that you mentioned like um, the Lucha Bros because back in Lucha Underground, you know, Pentagon in particular, he would cut like these promos, but it would be in his native language. Yeah, However, yeah. you know, he was over with the audience to the point that even that didn't matter because exactly. he was so like in, like in a trance, like his moveset and like the, the compelling story that he was telling, like within that match that, you know, even that, that promo piece wasn't necessarily the case. But I know like in the Lucha Underground fan base, you know, there was a lot of Spanish speakers because yeah, the, yeah. The Lucha Libre style, but you know, still remains the same. You know, he didn't necessarily have to cut a promo. You know, exactly. He, he did, and I, I give him props for that. You know, just like enhancing, enhancing like the story that he had for like his master, which I, yeah, I still with, that, uh, that was dope. That Man, was dope. so amazing. They had the death match. He almost killed him. Um, match. You ever watch like um did you ever watch Shinsuke Nakamura uh in Japan in uh, New Japan? Oh yeah. Dope. So Super dope. whenever he would have a match and then cut a promo right after, it would be like the most entertaining shit ever. Like on any wrestling television. Shinsuke's Nakamura's like his match and then post-match promo. I understood nothing. There were no subtitles, no like I don't understand. But hmm. every single time he said something on the mic it got a reaction and his like body language and his movements and his and his reaction, it made me excited. You know what I mean? It made me see who was gonna fucking face him next. Cause whatever yeah. he said, he ended it with Yao. And I don't know what the fuck that means either, but I was like, yeah, Shinsuke Nakamura. I don't That's what got me into Shinsuke too, because in the Japanese wrestling, you know, setting, you know, the promos, that's just kind of like, it's not like American wrestling where it's like like flashy or you know you're yeah yeah not. a Japanese wrestling promo is kind of like a okay kind of just say oh what I'm gonna do in this match oh let me wash this out of my hair come with me <laughs> wait there we go yeah so like they're just like talking about oh what I'm gonna do for this match and and like kind of like paying their respects or whatnot. It's not like necessarily talking trash, but Shinsuke, yeah. he was talking trash. And, he was, know, yeah. I, was one of the first I understand Japanese a little trash. Japanese, so I can tell someone's talking trash, like him and Tetsuya Naito, you know. Yeah. Okay, so like, on the subject of uh, Naito, right? Mm -hmm. So Naito is kind of like uh, the rebel, like he's the most American Japanese wrestler uh, that they have and people gravitated towards them. Mm -hmm. What do you think is, I guess, what is the drawing power behind a Naito? Like somebody that doesn't care because they were pushed aside in that, like, I guess that final, okay, so it's the the final, the the four uh, Mount Rushmore, I guess, of New Japan. It's Nakamura, it's Okada, it's Naito, and Tanahashi. Tanahashi, Jesus Christ. So, like, with that Mount Rushmore, of like guys, it's like um, Naito is kind of like the Bailey or like the one that's like shoved aside that becomes like one of the bigger stars. So oh, like, what do you well, think is like what pushes them to being so dis like disingenuous with that whole thing? Well, he's definitely underrated in definitely. comparison to the other three that we just mentioned, yeah. especially Tanahashi and Okada. 
because they were like the aces of the company for years. Yes. And Naito, he kind of, his glory kind of came a little after them, even though he's been in the promotion just as long as they have. So there's that piece. And then I think his his expert app, just like going abroad, <laughs> like they're going abroad to Mexico and you know the US and then gaining like traction there and like bringing that back to Japan, you know, that kind of helped them as well. But I think for me personally, I was one of the ones that wasn't entirely into Naito, probably because the way that he was booked by New Japan. So that yeah. kind of made it hard for me to get into him. I know when I first started watching New Japan, I was 100% a Tanihashi girl. Like, I love <laughs> Tanihashi. I was big on him. And then Okada, who I saw at TNA, so I didn't really think much of him. And then he yes. did himself like crazy. And it's like a whole different person. So I don't even remember. Like, it's Isn't that weird? Different. Yeah, it's crazy. I, I don't even remember his time in TNA now. Like, that's how big... It was uh, roughly, oh, 2009, 2010, around the same time the Young Bucks were in there for a cup of coffee. Yeah. That, that's insane to think about that. And then, like, he only had, like, a little storyline with Samoa Joe, who surprised me. Which was me. very brief. Yeah. Surprised me because Samoa Joe speaks Japanese. That's when I found out he spoke Japanese. You said he does? Yeah. He speaks a little Japanese because he spoke Japanese to Okada in that segment that they had when they were feuding with. I cannot remember who they were feuding with, but like Okada had got attacked and then Smojo came to save him and then he started talking to him in Japanese. And I was like, oh, he speaks Japanese. Interesting. So that's how I found out. I had no idea. Um, yeah, when they, like, I think this is like after the, or maybe during the Global Impact stuff, but like when that stuff started to die down, it was like they weren't really doing anything with Okada. And they like had the talent exchange and stuff like that. They would bring Tanahashi in to face AJ, they bring Naito in and all this other stuff. But it's like they weren't doing anything with these guys or like building anything with them or anything like that. Yeah, oh. they were just there, which like I said, it's kind of hard to believe. Like. The, the giant star that Okada has become, especially like the 2012 to like, I'll say give or take 2016 Okada, like, yes. like hooked, massive. And like his rivalry with Tanahashi still to me is one of my all, all time favorite New Japan rivalries. Um, I wasn't a big fan of the, the Tanahashi view as much as I was like the Nakamura, and Okada mm -hmm. feud, or the um, Tetsuya Naito and Okada feud, or even the Kenny Omega and Okada feud. Like, I feel like those are feuds that like kind of help him a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, I can, like, I can, I can agree with you on that. It definitely helped him like solidify his his status as like the ace of the company. Yeah, so definitely, definitely helped him. Like, too. I feel like he couldn't be the ace with the ace around. So as long as, as long as Tanahashi was around. It didn't really help Okada's stock in the company. Mm. But like when Tanahashi left, or not even left, but when he went on to different things, that's what really helped him out. When he could go on to face guys like, like Shinsuke Nakamura, who would give him a fight, or like Tetsuya Naito, who was like, that was a wrestler, but it wasn't like a wrestler's wrestler and stuff like that. Like those, I felt like helped uh, Okada build his star power a little bit more. Yeah. And like when he faced guys that weren't like as over as him, like Tanahashi was more over than anybody. But when he faced guys like, 
that Martin is over, but we're like kind of better in the ring or maybe not as good, not as good, but we're just like more over. Mm-hmm. And it helped uh, Okada a little bit more. Yeah. And also like 2000, that 2012, 11, well, 2011, 2012 period, that's when like the increase of Gaijin, well, yeah, there were a lot of guys in front of the offshoot anyway, but I know like during that period there was a, a little more increase, and that's like thanks predominantly to the bullet. Club. And yeah, yeah, that's when like, um, who was it, Giant Bernard and like Carl Anderson and stuff came over, mm-hmm. and then you know, Finn Balor, well, he was Prince Devitt during that, yeah, period. I will forever be Prince Devitt to me. <laughs> that's, how, that's how I was introduced to him so that's kind of like how it stuck I actually but, yeah. didn't find him in New Japan I found him in like uh, uh, ICW that's when I started watching ICW and stuff and you do that and uh, Rev Pro a lot and that's where I really got a, a good eye on like the, the Prince Devin character see for me the way I get to wrestling is kind of like by the continent so of course I started WWE then TNA that's like America then it was Japan. I was hooked on Japan for a very long time. And I got to Lucha Libre. I'm only starting to get into British wrestling here recently because of a lot of the pro- like prominent British wrestlers are being featured on like NXT UK, NXT, yeah. like the main NXT brand. So I've like been getting into them. Particularly Pete Dunne. Pete Dunne is really dope. And yeah. Another person, Tyler. Is it Tyler? Yeah, Tyler Bate. And then Walter. Yeah. Walter, I think I saw Walter in PWG. He was like mad crazy. I was like, who is this? Who is this man? Oh, Walter was till uh, he did an Evolve show in like 2018. And I was like, who's this big fuck? Who's this human? Is that a human? Like, this is the, one of the biggest human things like, I've ever in my life. I was like, where did he come from? But yeah, that's, like, so I'm, I'm still getting into like <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, uh, I've always loved the British theme because of like, Guys like Regal, guys like, um, I used to love uh, Finley and uh, Dave Taylor. Guys like that are the reason I'm mainly into, like, British team was a really big thing for me uh, as a kid. I remember, uh, when was it? So Regal, Regal had a feud with Jericho in 01. And I think he did a Queens of, like, Deathberry or something like that rules and, like, back at, like, Backlash. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, because that's kind of a cool concept or whatever. And then he would, like, mention guys like uh, Johnny Saint doing, like, the British rules-type match and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. it was kind of similar to Ring of Honor's, like, pure matches and stuff like that, where it was, like, rounds and other things of that of that nature back in the early 2000s. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. So, like, I would watch guys like Johnny Saint do these, like, round matches. And, uh, like, Rocco... I forget the names, but it's a bunch of like British guys that like I learned to love as teenagers and stuff like that. And I'm proud to incorporate in my own thing. Mm. But the British scene was like really, really, I was really happy to the British scene when I was younger. Thanks to guys like uh, like Fit Finley, Dave Taylor, uh, Johnny Saint, and uh, even um, Jesus, Norman Smiley came from that scene too. And I was yeah. like, okay. So even guys that like were super, super entertaining were still like super dope in, in the ring and stuff like that and could probably like teach you like pretty much every single style that you could possibly do in the ring. Like they just had that sort of knowledge and I've always pretty appreciated the British for that. Yeah. And I think for me, 
I've always been like a, I've always had a soft spot for like the Canadian wrestlers. <laughs> oh, okay, I see that. Yeah, I've always loved them. And I think you, I like shared with you, I've been doing like Dark Side of the Ring reviews. And then the mm-hmm. first episode they did of season three was about Brian Pillman. Yeah, so, yeah. I was like, oh, that's kind of like one of the biggest what ifs in like wrestling history, in my yeah, my honest opinion, because I I personally believe like he had like main event qualities. Yeah. Like, he, like throughout his career, you know, given like the promoters or bookers, like some saw that in him and some didn't. So that he would like get a push and then he'll get pushed back and get pushed. Exactly. <laughs> and then, what do you think Brian Pillman would have did in like like had he not died at uh, in October of ninety seven? What do you think his future would have looked like? Maybe a year prior to that, like a year after that. Oh boy, I have to remember what he was last doing before that happened. I think he was like in like a few gold dust. Gold uh, dust. Yeah. The gold dust. That's like what the infamous Brian Pillman has a gun segment. It was right after that. Yeah. It was right, right after yeah. the Austin thing. And mm-hmm. then him and uh Gold Dust were feuding over uh Marlena. And he like yeah. kidnaps her, they go into help to bad blood, and he's never seen again. Yeah. Uh that in itself was very eerie because we didn't mm-hmm. know what happened next. Yeah, but until like I, midway through the show. I personally, like, as like a person who like wished this, I would have like loved for him to like be like in like a, a main event type of situation. And I kind of him like maybe have wanted him to like revisit his storyline with Austin. I said the same, yeah. Like in a more but like in a more high pressure situation like a world title scene yeah because yeah. at that time brian pillman he was not upper upper card he was like mid card I, I think i have a theory that says he was only mid card because he had gotten his injury like i think if he was like healthier or if they just waited for him to get in the ring and stuff like that because i heard he was in a lot of pain and he wasn't like performing like he used to be able to mm-hmm. so if he was like healthy uh during that time and he like survived uh october of 97 I think the first Austin feud after uh, after WrestleMania 14, I think it might have been with Brian. I think Vince would have recruited Brian to face Austin after uh, WrestleMania 14. Mm, see, it's like it's those it's those what ifs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, I love I love just like trying to think about like what would have happened if this or what would have happened like if the same thing with Owen like. Uh, what if Owen lived to be, you know what I mean? Like in the 2000s where like the Eddies came in, the Jerichos came in, and all those guys. And, all of and the Benoit's, like all those guys who missed in Japan, I think, came Ooh. into the WWF. And it's like, as soon as he passes, then all these guys come in. It's like super sad to think about, but I love the what ifs. Like, like what are, um, like all those classics they would have had? Exactly, like, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like they all followed uh-huh. the same path, all got to the same place just in different times and missed each other. Yeah, it, it's insane. And that's what, like, going to, like, the dark side of the ring, it was just, like, a lot of what is. But it was, like, a lot of interesting <laughs> stuff, too. Like, yeah. We were, we were watching an episode on, like, the collision in Korea, which is kind of like a joint. Oh, my God. Yeah, I was telling my girlfriend about that one. And those in like, New Japan. Oh yeah. Oh. Couldn't be me. Couldn't be me. Could not be me. And the fact that they had Muhammad Ali go with them and then Antonio Inoki. <laughs> yeah, and they go in the main event against each other. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. 
But the thing is, like, you can tell oh, yeah. from the footage, like, the people didn't want to be there. Yeah, they're like, uh, I guess I got to carry these flowers to this dude, statue or whatever. And they just look very uh, unhappy to be there. <laughs> and they tell the story of, like, Bischoff uh, going for a run or something like that. Kids getting out of his way and people parting the seas and stuff like that. And he comes back to the whole hotel room and they're like, what are you doing? What was it? And he almost gets thrown in jail. I'm like, Jesus Christ. Okay. It's like, you can't okay. And like the part where Scott Norton was talking about, I guess like he was like frustrated. He was like talking to like his on the phone. On the phone. And yeah, then like he went yeah. into a room, flew him into a room. And like one of the people spoke English, like, hey, you can't be saying stuff like that. You can get in trouble. Ooh. I, I'm, ooh, just like the. I, I don't know, they were walking on eggshells. I'd probably never trip. left the country. I'd have probably never left the whole country. I'd have never left this country again after that. No, I think that'd be it for me. And think like Ric Flair, who's like, you know, he's like known for being crazy as hell on the road. And he has to like, like tense up. Like, yeah, so like, uh, <laughs> I don't know what I'm supposed to do in this situation. I don't want to go to jail and I don't want to die. So he's scared. So, you know, <laughs> that's a big deal. Ooh. And I think. <laughs> I read somewhere about Rick like being kind of dissatisfied with the um like the enough, because he was like trying to like have fun with it, but like yeah. the audience wasn't into it because obviously they didn't. They were not there to watch a wrestling show. Like I don't know why they even put that on. Uh-uh. It's like it was so weird. It's like the only reason they drew like I was like 175. I think it was 193 or something. Yeah, way up there is because it was by force. They had to be there. Yeah, because, yeah, like, exactly. Walking to see it. And then I think uh, I don't know if that was him. I think he talked about it afterwards with somebody else, and he was like, "I could always say I do more people than Hogan," and I was like, "You suck! Oh my god, I hate you so much." I mean, Hulk Hogan didn't even want to go there. So was, yeah, no. Like, so he was like, brother. "Can't do it for me, brother. Can't do it." I'm good, brother. He was smart. I'm good. He was smart. <laughs> Oh my god. Can you imagine like get them getting back and then telling them about the story? <laughs> like, hey yo, Hulk, Ooh. you'll never believe. Can you believe like I can imagine like him <laughs> him being in the States and they come back and he's like, okay, you're not gonna believe this trip we just went on. Remember we went to Korea? Not not nice, not cool. Uh-uh. So, so that's enough for me, brother. Uh-uh. And just think about like Ooh. the women's matches and like how the people would have felt, especially like in the ways exactly. that people Koreans tend to see women. And they had women's yeah, matches. It was yeah. like Japanese women. It was Japanese. Yeah. Women, so I'm just like, it was like uh, the New Japan WCW stuff. So like Anoki's guys and then the WCW guys. And I guess anywhere else in the world that would have worked. But Jesus. Yeah. I don't... Antonio Anoki was trying to increase his political presence that's what it was and didn't he still lose i think he did so all just to lose (laughs) i would be i would have blackballed anoki from the company uh, from the from the business i'd have been like bro you almost got everybody killed and you lost we're never talking to you again don't don't hit my line no more he took the biggest l he took the biggest l in pro wrestling history i cannot uh-uh. I said, uh, I just said, don't hit, don't hit my line no more. Don't book me no more. No more bookings from you. Not no more. Not no more. But then I didn't even know that Two Two Cold Scorpio had went. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that was surprising. Uh, I, was I like, think a few hey. Lucha guys went. Uh, 
I know a few Lucha Cruiserweights went. But yeah, it was a um mm, it was a mm-hmm. That's what it was. It was a couldn't be me story. That's what that was. See, uh-uh. No, absolutely not. <laughs> it was a Man. whole production too. It was a yeah. I it was mean, like a it was like a carnival featuring wrestling. Uh, but it was no fanfare at all. It no, was like no, strictly business. They just stared at you for like three hours. Yeah, I couldn't like, even. I've been in front of crowds that like didn't give reactions. I would have rather been in the crowd, front of the crowds I was in that didn't give reactions than the ones that are being forced to watch. Yeah, I probably think it was. I don't want to say like it was pro- probably traumatic for some of the wrestlers, but I think they probably. Be I think the trip was. The wasn't. I believe the trip might have been. Mm. And then. The end part where it's all about Ric Flair getting off the plane, like after leaving, kissing the ground, just oh, <laughs> he's like messing up his thousands of dollar shoes. <laughs> it's like, I'm so happy, I'm free. <laughs> I don't blame him, I really don't blame him. Like, like sometimes you get off a road trip or something in the states, sometimes you just drive for so long, you just miss being home. They almost died in a place that's not their country so i was like you know what i get Thousands it of miles away yeah exactly like I, I get it i understand now i see why a lot of wrestlers tend to go to japan like japan yeah yeah japan is lit but japan is lit japan is free like <laughs> they could cool. uh like mm. i don't blame them <laughs> i don't i really don't like do you uh speaking of japan do you have a favorite japanese view do I have a favorite Japanese feud? They are kind of said it. Well, I watched Frontier Martial Arts Wrestling. So okay. I like to preface that. The reason I got into New Japan Pro Wrestling anyways, well, Japanese Pro Wrestling, I should say, yeah. is because I was watching like old ECW tapes and there was a match, Mike Awesome versus um, Masato Tanaka. They had a rock. Okay. Yeah, that's one of your favorite uh, feuds, right? Yeah, of all time. And then Tanaka, I was like, okay, let me look into some matches on him. And then he was in FMW. And then I got into Hayabusa and Asushi um, mm. Onita, and they had a feud. But they also had beef in real life. So they tried oh. to the ring. Yeah. Onita okay. apparently was trying to bury Hayabusa. I don't know how true that is, but apparently they had beef backstage and they translated okay. over to the ring. And that's what I kind of liked about it. And then their FMW women's division. Um, <laughs> another favorite rivalry of mine was Megumi Kudo versus Combat Toyota. And it culminated in a death match. It was Toyota's retirement match. And then okay. Kudo won the title and it, it was dope. So those are like my two favorite rivalries. And Hayabusa, he became one of my all-time favorite wrestlers because of like his innovative high-flying stuff. It was like very yeah, yeah. Ahead of his time. And he wrestled in a mask and out and not in a mask. I prefer him in the mask. <laughs> of course, it's the iconic look. Yeah, but he retired so early like in his career. He spent the majority of his time in FMW, but it was by choice though. He was offered like contracts. I've heard, like, yeah. Like New Japan, I think all, all Japan. I think even WCW too, but don't quote me on that. No, I remember WCW trying to get at him in the, uh, in the mid 90s. Um, I thought originally that he got hurt after accepting it, but I yeah. guess he just like he. I guess he never accepted the offer, 
and then he kept wrestling in FMW, and then he got hurt. No. And I think as soon as he started to walk, he died, didn't he? Mm. Yeah, yeah, he was very injury prone. And then after he retired, he was like really sick for a long time. And then he passed away. I think it was like 2015 or 2017, those dates. Like, I remember it like being a really big deal. Like, he, they wheeled him out there. And then he like got up and took like this long walk to the ring. And it was like the most, one of the most like momentous things ever. Cause it's like, that was our guy that like helped revolutionize like this high flying style mm. uh, for guys in the 90s and stuff like that. And then, then like he does it and it's like, okay, maybe there's hope after all, you know what I mean? Like light at the end of the tunnel. And then like not too long after he passes and we're like, oh, well, Jesus Christ. Okay. All right. That hurt. You know what I mean? But it's like, I would rather, um, I would rather that be the case than for my man to die in a wheelchair. Cause that's how dynamite died. Like he went, you know what I mean? He never got out of his wheelchair before he went. So it's like, damn, that sucks. But at the same time, you know what, at least he got his happy ending before he went. Dynamite never really, the closest he got to his happy ending from what I can tell was like seeing his daughter. You know what I mean? So I guess to some degree he got his happy ending too. Yeah. But it's like, damn, he never lived to, to like walk again. Hmm. And I think not necessarily like rivalries, so to speak, like Japanese rivalry, like you mentioned Dynamite Kid. I also like the stuff with the Tiger Mask, the original Tiger yeah, Mask. Yeah, yeah. Early 80s Tiger Mask. There's, there's so many of them. But there's like, there's the, that's like one of the greatest feuds. I don't know if it's all time, but definitely for like my generation and like guys my size, like it has to be one of the greatest feuds of, like of all time. Like his matches with Tiger Mask, uh, the first Tiger Mask, like set the standard for like how people wrestle even today. Like in the ring, the, the mentality and stuff like that, the athleticism, the spots they do, the high flying stuff, the seemingly reckless stuff they do mm -hmm. that uh, took years off Dynamite's back or oh, Dynamite. Yeah. It's like it, it built some sort of like, not necessarily like a self destructive legacy, but like a you only live once. Like you, you have one career, lay it all out there on the biggest stage you possibly can. You know what I mean? Like the matches they had in Japan and the matches they had in the garden. Like those, they could live off that for the rest of their lives if they really wanted to. They wanted to go out there and keep continuing to like build their legacy. Like we talked about with music, like it peaked there. Like there was getting no better. You can go and keep going and stuff like that. Or you can rest on your laurels and hey, I'm the guy that did that, you know, like that match, that album, whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. But they kept going and kept doing it and wanted to like up the ante year after year after year. Like eventually it costed Dynamite. But Dynamite's legacy overall lived longer than he did because of it. Yeah. And that's what found me very entranced with like that, that 80s period of, you know, you know, American and Canadian wrestlers, you know, yeah. even like British wrestlers going to Japan and like using yeah. it as like the platform to like, you know, build their legacy. And, you know, such a names like Mitt Foley. Terry Funk, especially Terry exactly. Funk. Oh my God. Terry Funk, so, man, legend doesn't even describe, like, doesn't even begin to describe Terry Funk. Man. And I, I hope he's okay, because I heard he was, like, in bad health. He might be in a home right now, but it also might be due to, like, his wife passing. He just wants, like, company or something like that. I wouldn't be surprised if he's like, ah, I just wanted the company. Yeah. And then um, Stan Hansen, who was, like, very popular yeah. in Japan. Definitely. I didn't even realize how popular he was. He was, like, this big, Half blind, he was really, really <laughs> half blind. <laughs> legit half blind cowboy. 
beat shit out of you with a, a bull rope or just like yeah. punching you. And then he do like suicide dives too on top of that. Yeah. Like, Damn. Like, do headbutts and fuck, man. Stan Hensel's a, a huge human being. Like, I didn't realize how big he was. So like, because like when he worked in the States, everybody was big. You know what I mean? Like everybody was around that size that he could work with. But then he went to Japan and I was like, okay. Yeah. I He's thought this person was big. Yeah, exactly. He was a giant so, among them. Like you had oh your Antonio, Antonio Anokis and your giant Babas. Like, yeah. Those giants, but it wasn't that many. You had like the man. six foot seven, seven foot guys, but then like you you had a fucking Stan Hansen like whacking their head off. And I remember like, it was a match like that was so simple. I don't even know who it was, but it was like the crowd reaction that he got based off like what he did. Like things that like were offenders back then that just like, they could fly now if they were more regular, like regularized and stuff like that, but or regulated or whatever the case may be. But like he just like sits a guy up top or something like that. The guy's in the ring, he's outside and he's on the apron, and he just like larries this guy. His fucking head comes off like damn near, and he like gets to the ring and pins him. I was like, yeah, that was the greatest fucking thing ever. Like of course that would be the fit. That would be the finish because he just took his head off. You don't have to do anything after that. Get in and pin him. That's it. He's dead. Is it? Like you were hitting him so crazy strange and his head off. Those lyrics were a, a mess, like in a good Those lyrics were a shoot. Like whoever he hit with that lariat, that was a wrap for you. That was a wrap on the on the rest of the day. But it's insane though. Like Stan was more popular in Japan than he was in like his native country. But like, yeah, I wouldn't want to work with Stan. Yeah, that had to do uh, with like like a lot of big guys, a lot of big guys like him. But he was quite agile for a big guy. Yeah. That time a lot of guys in that generation were like for big guys like the brodies the stands a lot of those guys were like like super fucking athletes for some reason like vader like guys like that <laughs> super oh my god i mean he was like popular in japan too drawing crazy ratings yeah stuff that he was doing and then bam bam bigelow Bam bam, yeah, yeah, yeah. the gurries and Karen on. I was like, dude. <laughs> nah, I love I love big guys in that generation. Um, into the nineties, of course, everybody had to get smaller and you had to respect the sizes and athleticism and stuff like that. But in the eighties, you can't you can't I have to watch a big man match. Like a Stan Hansen, a Brody. Um uh, yeah, I just uh, bruiser Brody matches. Stan Hansen, Vader. Oh, Bruiser Brody yeah. is another one for me. Oh my God. Another what if. And that was another guy I got into like after they passed, like after, like far after they passed. Just fucking legendary matches. Just like guys like that have a presence. Guys like that are like stars and stuff like that. And then you have uh, Bruiser Brody. Like he was above all that. Like he was God over there in Japan or Godzilla as they call him over in Japan. I can, I can see that. You had like the crazy wild hair. Yeah. It looked exactly. like he beat the crap out of you. <laughs> he just looked down like <laughs> maniacal. Yeah, I can see why they call him that. <laughs> yeah, like I can see why everybody thought it was a shoot, honestly. Man, it's just so it's just so much. So I, I think yeah. like a, a final, final question I will have for you is just kind of like mm -hmm. given that the audiences are coming back. What are like some things that you're kind of looking forward to seeing? And like, in, in like regards to like the reactions 
like do you like think it's just gonna be like louder pops because like they're happier like they're happy to see the wrestlers again or are they going to just go back go back to the original format that they had like before the pandemic i think uh i talked to this with my friend josh and i feel like we were going so fast before the pandemic hit we were going so fast that we weren't like looking in the rearview mirror to see exactly what we were doing. And a lot of things like I was really not interested in like before the pandemic happened, like I wasn't really interested in wrestling, uh, watching it or anything like that when like this whole thing happened. So like now that it happened, it's like everything feels new again. It's like, oh, how are they gonna react to this? Or like, how's the business gonna change? Nothing felt like the business was changing before the pandemic hit. From like 2017, 18, 19, everything felt like good, but stagnant. Like nothing was improving, nothing was changing. And then the pandemic hit and you got, you got like a Bailey coming out and being like the star of the show. You got like a Sasha Banks, like running the show. You got a Drew McIntyre carrying the whole, like uh, the whole era of like the pandemic and stuff like that. And then you didn't have the Brock Lesnar's, you didn't have the Goldbergs and stuff like that for real. You just had like, you just had like guys that were like there every single week but they weren't being highlighted every single week because the bad, the guys that were being highlighted were gone for the most part. So you got to see like new stars and you got to see like different things you wouldn't ordinarily. Some of it worked and some of it didn't, but you got to see new shit. Like, I don't think Roman Reigns would have turned heel if the pandemic didn't happen. You know what I mean? Yeah, so like, I, I would agree. like for them- to A lot of people say like, oh, he, he needs to turn heel. I was like, they weren't gonna do that. Yeah, like we've been saying this five years by this point and they wouldn't do it. And what happened? There were times when they should have did, did it. There were times where they should have exactly. did it. Exactly. Like yeah. the Royal Rumble, uh, Mania. He's uh, rocking with John Cena. Yeah, honestly. <laughs> John like, the main thing I want to see is that same sense of change and that same sense of like urgency. Like they kind of rested on their laurels, like, uh, they'll buy it regardless of whatever the fuck we do. And then it's like the pandemic hit. So, like, oh shit, maybe they maybe they won't buy it. Like everything's you know, up for uh, up for interpretation. So like, they might switch the channel. Now they, there's no fans or anything like that. They might watch an actual movie. I want them to keep that same sense of urgency and the same sense of oh, we have to improve. We have to make things as best as they could. We have to listen to people going into this this new era that we're coming into. Yeah, and that that's the main thing. And they're bringing up new faces. You know, I know on yeah. SmackDown they brought in. Tegan Knox, shots at Blackheart. Tony yeah. Storm. So Tony I'm, Storm, I can't wait for. One of the you. nicest human beings I've ever met in my life. She, I've never met her, but I can tell she's an absolute sweetheart. And I just loved her. I followed her extensively, like since like Japan and then like yeah, yeah. UK, where she was like a, a big baby face that so she was like over. So exactly. I, I can't wait to see how she, she fares. Now that all going to be in front of crowds. So I'm like, yeah, oh, that's the perfect God. time. <laughs> oh, the perfect God. time. She was a heel, though, at NXT. So I'm wondering if they're going to yeah, yeah. heel or they're going to debut. I don't think they're going to buy her. They're going to love her. They are going to love them since Tony Storm. Yeah, they're probably going to put her as a face. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah. of course, Shotzi. I love Shotzi. Um, I'm, not oh, as, I'm not as big on Tegan's work, probably because I'm not as familiar with that work. Mm-hmm. But I... Shotzi, I follow on the independent circuit because she had a match against Shayna Baszler when Shayna was on the independent circuit. I was like, who is that? She looks Ooh. so cool. And I was like, oh, I, now I got to follow her. So I yeah, got to yeah, yeah. 
Uh, I met Shati a couple of times, another nice human being. I did not, I say this all the time. I was like, uh, I was watching war games with my boys. And um, uh, what show, I think I met her in Ohio or something like that. And I just wrestled and she was like about to go out. And I was like, she got the stupid fucking tank. Are you serious? And then she goes out, gets the biggest reaction on any of anybody on the show. And I was like, this stupid fucking tank works. I can't believe this. And I was like, yeah, she it, out it, there it. on that stupid fucking tank. And I'm here on the couch watching her on this stupid fucking tank. I can't believe this. I love her so much. It, but it works. It fits. It fits. I like it fits it. so well. Like, it, like once she gets out there and her whole mojo is going, I was like, it's of course. Like, of course she gets that reaction. It's the most over thing on any show she goes on. And now I see you're like maybe a couple of years later on a ball. And I was like, fuck yeah. All right. I see you. <laughs> and then a person that I have a soft spot for, who I just mentioned, Shayna Baszler. I love her to pieces. Mm -hmm. I love her to pieces. I'm going to see Raw. So hopefully maybe she'll be up there live and I can see her, yes. see her live. I hope you get to meet her and I hope you get to like uh, at least talk to her. If not interview her, at least talk to her. I, I want, I just want to say hi. That, that's all. Yeah. I want. <laughs> Like, I still feel like the highlight of my life is being able to shake Shawn Michaels' hand, and I thought, I hope you get to get that. Yeah, I, I, hope, I really hope so. She's just, she's just so cool, but I, I'm, I'm an MMA fan, too, so I was introduced to her through MMA. Like, got you, got uh, the Ultimate Fighter, right? Yeah, she was on Ultimate Fighter, and now I watch some of her older MMA fights, too, and she's, like, friends with Josh Barnett, and Josh Barnett, yeah, yeah. He, he wrestled in New Japan, so, you know. Yeah, blood sport and all this stuff. Yeah. So yeah, I didn't know he wrestled. Yeah, he I wouldn't say like he's like a full-fledged pro wrestler, like he doesn't do it full time, but he's had yeah. like taken part in like wrestling matches and he was like a commentator from New Japan at one point. I remember him being a commentator, but I, I didn't even know he had a few matches in New Japan. Mm -hmm. He did. It was like a blinky if you miss it. Like, gotcha. it like okay. that long. But but yeah, he he did. But yeah, hopefully I'll finally get to see Shane alive. She's like seeing like my my merch of hers that I post on Instagram, and she like yeah, I saw her comment on it, and I was like, that's so fucking cool. <laughs> I was like, I want this talk to <laughs> person now. <laughs> let's let's get that exactly. <laughs> out the way. <laughs> so I think we can we can cap it off on that note. Oh, time flies by, but we we covered a lot of ground. Yeah, definitely. We have to do this again at some point. Yes, we totally. We got to <laughs> got some, some thoughts on some some things. Like we'll uh, we'll recap uh, how the the first month of the the post pandemic era goes. Uh, you mean like like right now? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm saying like uh like the next time we talk, we have to talk about like how the the first like few shows like with uh, wrestling fans. We'll we'll talk about how that goes. Oh yeah, but definitely. Since I'll be at one of them, yeah, I I have to. Gotcha, gotcha. I I want to make a vlog, but I'm I'm not sure about camera guidelines. They probably change it up a little bit. I have to yeah, look into yeah. that. But you know, if I can get the camera in there, you know, I'm I'm yeah. good to go. <laughs> yeah, let me know. I'll be there to watch it. I cannot wait. Yeah. I'm excited for you to fucking be at a show finally after all this time. I know. I was trying to go last year, but then it canceled. Exactly. Like, I think the first show they canceled was the one that was supposed to be here in Detroit on uh, March 13th. My friends were supposed that's to go and birthday. stuff like that. Oh, I was, was it? I was going to a concert on my birthday, and then that's when all the shit hit the fan, and yeah, they yeah. canceled everything. I was so upset, but now I get to go. 
get to go play. Exactly. So yeah. I'm going to a wrestling event and I'm going to a concert in October. So I'm happy. Oh, see? <laughs> yeah. Whole life is lit right now. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm good to go. I have plans. Good, good, good. Well, yeah. I hope you have fun. You deserve this after all this goddamn pandemic and the, the wrestling being shut down and concerts being shut down. I'm glad you finally get to have fun again. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do this again next time. Thank you so much. Promise. No promise. No, no problem. I'll see you again <laughs> soon and we'll talk again soon. Okay. All right. Peace. All right. Bye, girl.